This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au You know, a few uh, weeks ago I was watching, um, I don't know if anyone does this, you start a show, it's like 11 o'clock, the movie's finished and then something comes on, you're like, wow, that'd be good. And you can't watch it for, for more than five minutes before you're hooked and you check on the guide and it says it's going to finish at 25 past one. You're like, oh, it's so late, I can't commit. But you're so drawn in, you just watch it anyway and then you wake up the next morning regretting having... Anyone else? Is it just me that does that? Yeah, three of you. Thank you for your honesty. Um, so I did that a few weeks ago. I was watching... I can't even remember what I was watching, but a Heath Ledger documentary came on afterwards. started late and I was just drawn in. And I remember watching this documentary and I was fascinated by Heath's story. I don't know if you know much of Heath's story. He, is a self, he, he was a self-taught actor. He didn't go to acting school, but had this deep drive and passion to become an actor, to, to make it on the Hollywood stage. And so he literally bought a one-way ticket to Hollywood and headed off there to make it in Hollywood, to make a career of it. And um, the thing about Heath is that obviously he was a very successful, brilliant actor who made it and and fascinated us and wooed us with his performances. And you think of the Joker, his, his last movie, The Joker in Batman. And he was such a wonderful actor, but the story behind what we saw on the stage was incredible. He was a very, very driven human. So driven was he towards creativity that he carried a camera around, him, around with him everywhere he went, a video camera. He filmed everything. So committed was he to making it in Hollywood, that he would take his little handheld camera, flip it round, and film himself so he had feedback on whether or not he was doing his lines well, his rehearsal well. He would film everything. So committed to, to being creative and stretching the boundaries that on the side, he would take on these little side creative projects. So he's in the middle of making a multi-million dollar blockbuster, and he decides that he wants to make a video clip for Ben Harper. And so he rings up Ben Harper. He's like, hey man, I'm going to make a video clip for one of your songs. And he was so driven. And I remember at the end of this documentary feeling really inspired by someone who lived with this deep sense of purpose and drive. That He was so committed to this process of creativity. He was so committed to achieving his goal of making it as a Hollywood superstar. And I was inspired and stirred by that. And then I found myself you know, finding, YouTubing the, the clip that he made, watching the video and thinking, wow, isn't that incredible? So inspiring. I feel like I'm just going to live my dreams of purpose through Heath Ledger and just watch everything he did online and sit on the couch and never really do anything myself. Anyone ever done that? You're so inspired by someone's story that you spend all of your time reading about it, watching about it, listening to it, but never actually getting off the couch and doing anything yourself. I don't know about you, but I want to live a life that has a deep sense of purpose. But not just temporal purpose. I want my life to have a sense of purpose that lasts for eternity. And I believe that what we see here in Acts chapter 20 is exactly that. Paul explaining the very thing that drives him, that motivates him, that gives him this deep sense of purpose and that purpose has eternal significance, not just temporary 
significance, but eternal significance. And so we're going to look at what drove Paul. And, and I th- my hope is that as we see that this morning, we will see that that very same thing ought to drive all of us as well. That we ought to live lives of purpose. And so uh, in, in order to help us get our head around this, I've stolen a line from the, the great Dr. John Piper. As he has summarized this passage in Acts chapter 20, he's saying that Paul values faithfulness over life. He values faithfulness to God's call even over life itself. And so what we're going to do is we're going to start unpacking chapter 20, verse 24, and then I'm going to build everything around that one verse. So chapter 20, verse 24, this verse had a significant impact on me as a a young man. Actually, this is one of the verses that inspired me to pursue vocational ministry, to go into full-time ministry because of a verse like this. It's a window into the driving heart of Paul's motives and ambitions and desire. This is his conviction. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What a powerful, powerful sentence. I consider my life worth nothing. Now, that's not low self-esteem from Paul. It's it's not, um, he, he doesn't have a low view on human life. He has an eternal view on human life. The kind of view that says, I will have wasted my life if I've spent my life on something that does not last forever. It will be of waste to me if I've served myself and my own kingdom and my own purposes rather than serving a purpose that is eternal, rather than serving the kingdom. I will have wasted my life. It will count for nothing. It's the kind of view that says there has to be something more. There has to be something more valuable than this thing. There has to be something more precious than my dreams and my plans and my goals and my ambitions and my purposes and my fulfillment and my comfort. It's the kind of view that says there is something that is even more precious to me than life itself. What is it for Paul? What is more precious to him? What, is, what does he value? He values finishing the race. He values completing the task. The task of testifying to the good news of the grace of God. Jesus has given Paul a job. and His job is to tell everyone of the generous, lavish, outlandish, Radical grace that God has towards people. That's what he lives for. You know, there are a few people in, even in the Bible who have such a razor-sharp, focused, determined attitude towards life. But this type of sense of purpose that Paul has is only possible is only possible after a radical encounter with Jesus. Now, to be fair, Paul was fairly driven before he met Jesus. Like, if you remember his, his backstory, Paul was driven by eradicating the church altogether, traveling around with letters of authority to imprison and kill Christians. And so probably his personality was fairly driven anyway. He was just that type of person. But 
But this type of laying your life down, willing to suffer and sacrifice and give it all away, for the sake of testifying to the grace of God, that is only possible after a radical, life-changing encounter with Jesus. This is how Paul describes it. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or in 2 Corinthians 5.14-15, he says, And Jesus died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When you experience the grace of God like that, when it encounters your heart and shatters your pride and your sin, your life becomes about other people also encountering that same grace that you've experienced. It's an explosion of joy that has ripple effects on the people around you. What's clear is that Paul believes that every person who has encountered this grace, every person who follows Jesus ought to live for him. Their lives are no longer their own. They belong to Jesus now. We all have a new claim on our lives, a new sense of purpose, a new calling. And that calling is to live for Jesus, to live for him every second, every minute, every hour of every day. It's all about him. Now for Paul, that looked, being, uh, looked like being an itinerant evangelist and a church planter. That's what he did. That's what we've been spending most of Acts chapter 13 onwards reading about, Paul's missionary journeys. He traveled basically all of the known world telling people about the good news of Jesus and planting churches. That's what it looked like for Paul. To value faithfulness to this call over even life itself. Do you value the call of God in your life more than anything? Is that what is most precious to you? More precious than comfort and security and certainty and approval and acceptance that you would be faithful to what God has called you to? Not everyone here is going to be called to be an itinerant evangelist or a church plant or a pastor. But every single one of you has a part to play. Every single one of you has something that God has put in front of you or something that God has called you to in your context to do this same thing, to live for Him, to fulfill the task of testifying to the grace of God. Jesus has called you to live for Him as an employee, as a spouse as a neighbor, as a friend, as a colleague. He's called you to live for him wherever you are in your context. So in the end, all of us have been made for more than simply pursuing our own dreams, our own purposes, our own vision, our own comfort and satisfaction. You have been made for more than that. In fact, God has created you and rescued you for a purpose that would last forever, for all eternity, as Christ's ambassador, as a witness of his grace. You are here for a reason. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is at work and he wants you to join him in what he is doing. That is, that is incredible. 
That ought to bring a deep sense of purpose to our lives, a deep sense of drive. In fact, that ought to make us so ambitious, so ambitious for God's plans and purposes to be fulfilled in our city. And so Christian, are you living for that? Is that your heartbeat? Is that what gets you excited? Is that what motivates and drives you? Is that what gets you out of bed in the morning? Jesus has got something for me to do today that's going to last for eternity. To change the world. What is most precious to you? What do you value? What do you value even more than life? What are the things that you make sacrifices for? Is it faithfulness to God's call on your life? Well, we see here, Paul, this little window into what motivated and drove him. And, and he says to this church here in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 that, that they've seen that in his life. What's happening here at the, end of, uh, at the end of Acts chapter 20 is that Paul is traveling to Jerusalem. And he knows that this is the last time he's ever going to see these people face to face. And so he calls the elders of the church or the churches that are in Ephesus together and he, he offers them this farewell speech. These are, these are the same people that Paul has just spent three years every single day teaching and training and equipping. These are people that Paul lived alongside of and loved. And so there are tears here as he farewells them. You know, I remember in 1988, as my family immigrated from South Africa to Australia, I remember being at Cape Town, Cape Town Airport as we were leaving. I was eight years old and 364 days. I was about to have my ninth birthday in Paris. And um, I remember standing there as an eight-year-old boy looking at my mum and my auntie weeping, not really quite understanding what was happening, but recognizing that this is potentially maybe the last time I'll see my cousins and my auntie and uncle and we jumped on an airplane and we left and we flew to Australia and we didn't really get to see him again for another 10 years. And so there are tears as there is farewells. And you know, somewhat we've become accustomed to this as a church a little bit. Uh, we call them gospel goodbyes as we multiply gospel communities and farewell the people that we've develop deep, intimate relationship with to go and start and multiply a new gospel community in a new area to reach new people. And it's sad. It's sad to say goodbye. But Paul gathers these elders and he says, I'm, I'm compelled and constrained by the Spirit to go. And what you've seen in my life, I want you to live out. And so he, he calls them to his life. He says this in verse 18. He says, You yourselves know how... I lived. You know how I lived. You saw it. You saw my teaching. You saw, my, you saw the thing that drove me. You saw how this vision shaped everything that I do. Because our purpose in life determines how we live. What we value most determines our actions, our choices, our decisions. Paul says, you've seen my life. How did he live? Paul's life and his leadership was an example of someone who valued faithfulness to God's call over life itself. And what he modeled to this church, he expects the elders and leaders of this church to live out themselves with this thing at the center. And so we're going to see four things. Four things that Paul calls this, the leaders of this church to. 
Um, and this is, this is Christian leadership, right? And this is relevant for you. And it doesn't matter if you're not in a position of leadership, because this is what we ought to expect as a church of our leaders, these four things. So if you're a gospel community leader, if you're a, a kids worker, or if you're teaching children right now in the side room there or downstairs, or if you're a, on our, one of our worship teams, if you're involved in introducing Jesus, if you're on our prayer team, if you're in any sort of teaching pastoral ministry, then this is relevant to you. And even if you're not, this is what you ought to expect. This is Christian leadership, the type of leadership that values faithfulness to God's call even over life itself. Four things that Paul calls these leaders to. He calls them to be gospel-centered. He calls them to be spirit-led. He calls them to be uh, people who love the church. And he calls them to be generous. So the first is gospel-centered or word focus. Have a look at verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith. In our Lord Jesus Christ. The three verbs there that describe what Paul was committed to. Declaring, teaching, and testifying. Declaring, teaching, and testifying. Paul's life and leadership was about being committed to the word of God, to the good news of the gospel. His ambition, remember, was to what? Speak of nothing but Christ Jesus and him crucified. That's what Paul was about. He said, if anything rolls off my lips... I want it to be good news. I want it to be about what Jesus has done. I want it to be the Word of God. Paul taught the Word. We, we've already heard last week, 720 sermons over two years, 3,650 hours worth of teaching in two years. They've all got PhDs in theology after hearing Paul preach. He taught the Word of God in the whole place, the whole truth in the whole place, from house to house and publicly teaching everything that would be profitable, that would, that would strengthen, that would build up. He's not shrunk back. That, that statement there that he makes twice, that he hasn't shrunk back from teaching stuff, probably is an indication that Paul is concerned that some of the elders in this church will be or have been tempted to water down their message. And so he's trying to model for them. I have this call that, that God has on my life, to teach the whole truth in every place, that requires me to say some bold, hard things. I haven't shrunk back from that. And he says to these leaders, I want you to model that. I want you to model having the word of God at the center of everything you do. I want you to model gospel-centered leadership. Paul has not hesitated because he is driven by faithfulness to the call. He's, he's motivated by that even more so than life itself. So life that values faithfulness is a life that is centered on the message of Jesus, on the Word of God. So the first is gospel-centered. The second, spirit-led, verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul is warned by the Holy Spirit. And we're not really told how the Spirit warns him. Chances are it's 
via the, the prophets like Agabus who in chapter 21 come to Paul and bind his, his hands and say, this is the way that the Gentiles will carry you off and take you into captivity. But the Spirit of God warns Paul that prison and pain lie ahead for him. And yet Paul surrenders to the Spirit's leading, even in the midst of uncertainty, of not knowing what will happen, in the midst of uncertainty of what imprisonment looks like or what pain looks like. Paul's life and leadership is Spirit-led. The word there in verse 22 is constrained constrained by the Spirit. He is controlled by the Spirit. His life is bound by the Spirit, directed by it, captive even. Now, I don't know about you as you hear how Paul speaks of the Spirit's guidance and leadership in his life. I think to myself, I don't know if I live like that all the time. I don't know if that would accurately describe my, my life that, that I am so controlled and constrained by the Spirit, that I will be so led by Him, even in the face of afflictions and pain and discomfort and sacrifice. But we can't be faithful to God's call if we're not willing to surrender our lives to God's guidance and leadership by His Spirit. Paul knows that he wants to go to Jerusalem. He knows, that in fact, that he wants to take the good news all the way to Spain. But the Spirit has made it clear to him that as you go, this is what's going to take place. And yet he still goes, surrendering to the Spirit's leading. Why? Because he's driven. He is faithful to God's call in his life, even even at the expense of his own comfort and his life, his own life. And so the second thing is that Paul is spirit-led and he expects the elders and leaders of this church to be spirit-led. The third thing is he expects them to love the church because he loves the church. See, at the very heart of God's purposes is the church, his people. And when I say church, I don't mean um, the organized establishment of hierarchy and constitutions, buildings, I mean the people of God. At the very center of God's purpose are his people, is his people, his precious bride. And you cannot value what God values and not value the church. Because God loves the church. He sent Jesus to die for the church. And so Paul loves the church and has a concern for this church, that this church would be protected. And so he calls these Ephesian elders to protect the flock And so may these words be true of us, staff here at Anchor, gospel community leaders here at Anchor who have been entrusted with the responsibility of shepherding and caring for people. This is what Paul says, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Why? Because you can't care for others if you haven't taken care of yourself. Spiritually, emotionally, theologically, morally. You need to be in a position to care for other people by caring for yourself. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. A good shepherd warns. A good shepherd warns. I don't know if you realize that. Part of my job description as a pastor of this church is to warn you of false teaching is to warn you that the enemy seeks to send wolves in to infiltrate and to destroy the flock. That's his purpose. That's his plan to destroy the work of God. And yet in an increasingly secular, an increasingly attention-deprived generation, the pressure is often to keep it light. Make church positive. Don't let, if you want to grow your church, don't say anything hard or difficult. People won't come back. They'll leave and yet the reality is that if pastors don't warn their flock, the enemy will come in and drag them away and they'll leave anyway. Part of what we do is warn. Warn you that there are wolves out there who seek to destroy, that the enemy is like a prowling lion. And God has called pastors to be the shepherds who would stand between the wolves and the sheep and protect the church. God has called us to be courageous in caring for the flock. Now in a large community like Anchor, it's impossible for a handful of pastors to really deeply shepherd every single person individually. But it is the responsibility of the leaders to create systems and structures and a culture where shepherding takes place, where care takes place. And so we've got two forms of that, our gospel communities and our gospel triplets. And so our gospel community leaders play such a significant part in this process. And so I just want to stop and say thank you and honor those of you who shoulder the responsibility of caring for people, of, of caring for people's souls, of speaking the truth of the gospel, of following people up. Because we're called to shepherd the flock and so I just want to quickly do a bit of a riff on, on elders for a second because this is something that we've been working on for a while and next year my, my aim and hope is to appoint some elders here at Anchor to identify people who are godly, who meet the qualifications of an elder, to be trained and then appointed as elders in our church. And so what are we looking for? What do we learn about the position of an elder from Paul's words here, there are, there are a couple of things. The first is that elders are spirit-appointed men. They're spirit-appointed. Right? The spirit is the one who appoints these people. That's why as this process comes to appoint elders in our church, a deep sense of prayerfulness has to occur. This is a spiritual task of appointing leaders in God's spiritual flock. And so we must be dependent, spirit-led, and prayerful as we seek to identify. The second thing we learn is the tasks of an elder. There are three tasks that we see here, at least implicitly in these verses. The first is that elders lead. They oversee. That word that Paul says, the Spirit has made you overseers. That's, they lead the flock. They lead the church. They've been entrusted with a significant responsibility 
to lead the sheep. The second task is that they're the shepherd. That's an Old Testament image there. We see of a, a, sh- a shepherd who would lead the flock, lead the sheep towards green pastures, lead the sheep towards water that would nourish, protect the sheep from the wolves that would seek to attack, that we would shepherd and finally to teach. And that's kind of implied there in Paul's warning that false teachers will come in to destroy the flock and that he has needed to admonish, that is warn by teaching the word of God. And finally, the final thing we learn here is it requires spiritual alertness. That if we're going to ask people to shepherd this flock, they need to be people who are mature, who love Jesus, who are full of faith, who are spirit-led, who are strong, who have taken care of themselves so that they can take care of the flock. And so as we head towards this next year, those are the things that I'm prayerfully looking for as we think about elders in our church, as we think about what it looks like to continue to grow in shepherding and caring for the flock here at Anchor. What drives someone to that type of leadership? The reason that um, we give pastors titles like pastor or minister, because those are words that describe something of the nature of what we do. Pastor pastor is the the shepherding word. Minister is servant. Because that's what we're called to do. And that is a subversive model of leadership. Where the leader really is at the bottom. The leader is the one who serves. That's Jesus' model of leadership. What would cause someone to throw themselves into this type of leadership? This upside down leadership. It's someone who is driven by a call like Paul faithfulness to what God has called him to. Not his position, not his title, not his fame, but the fame of his chief shepherd, Jesus. So he's calling this church to model his way of life, this life that has been lived faithful to God's call by being gospel-centered, by being spirit-led, by loving the church, and, and fourthly, by being generous. Have a look at verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who are with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, you can kind of imagine Paul as he's gathered the Ephesian elders around speaking that as he holds out his calloused leathery hands saying to them, these hands of mine have worked hard. I've worked hard for this. I've worked hard not to be a financial burden to the people I'm trying to reach with the good news of Jesus. Paul's strategy was he would arrive in a city and he would build tents. So during the day he would build tents and in his spare time he would preach the good news of Jesus. Sacrificially, at cost to his career advancement, at cost to his leisure time and his downtime, at cost to having to work two jobs at the same time. He's he's lived generously. He's lived by that countercultural statement of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's profound and it has so shaped Paul's life and his leadership. 
A life that values faithfulness to God's call over life itself is a life that gives, a life that pours out because we believe our Savior's words and we follow his example. And so Paul calls the leaders and elders of this church to be gospel-centered, to be spirit-led, to love the church and to live generously, to serve. The question is, how can we live like this? How can we have lives that are shaped like Paul's? Valuing faithfulness over life itself. Having a deep sense of purpose about who we are and what we do. You know, many people struggle with a sense of purpose. It doesn't really matter what your worldview, your faith view is. Lots of people struggle with purpose. Purpose comes from three things. It comes from identity and importance and impact. Purpose comes from identity and importance and impact. Identity says, who am I? Who am I as a person? Importance comes from, do I matter? And impact comes from, what difference will I make? And the answer to all of those questions, the the full experience of that is bound up in the, the reality of being known by God and knowing God. Because if you have encountered the grace of God, then you know the answer to those three questions. You know your identity. You know your importance. You know your impact. If you have been rescued by the grace of Jesus, then you know that you're a child of God adopted into his family. That's your identity. You know that you are loved by the God of this universe. That's your importance. You matter. And you know your impact. That God has saved and sent you to make an eternal difference by speaking the good news everywhere. And I want to suggest to you today that there is nothing more thrilling than living your life centered on the purposes of God. There's nothing more thrilling than that. I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question, what am I here for? In this city, in this job, in this family, in this apartment complex, in this neighborhood, in this family. Why am I here? I want to suggest to you, maybe it's worth pausing and praying and asking God that question. God, why have you placed me here? What is your purpose for me here? And if you're a Christian, then allow the word of God to inform that for you. That's a significant question to ask because God has a purpose for you. But maybe you're not a Christian. What is your purpose in life? You know, if you're not living a life with purpose, you're just existing. That's reality. If you don't live a life with a deep sense of purpose, you're just existing. What is your purpose? What are you here for? Do you have any sense of purpose? Do you have a sense of purpose beyond yourself, beyond your career? Beyond? Wouldn't you want a sense of purpose that transcends time? that stretches into eternity, that makes an eternal impact. I know my purpose. My child of the king who has been called and saved and sent to a city to make much of the grace of God that could radically transform people's lives. And all of that comes from a profound encounter experience with the grace of God. That by Jesus' death in my place, my sins have been washed away. I've been set free And I've been given a new reason to live for 
him for Jesus. You know, Jesus truly valued faithfulness to God over his life. In fact, Paul may actually have been echoing Jesus' words when he said, I finish my course. Because that's exactly what Jesus said in Luke 13 when people warned him that Herod wanted to kill him. Jesus says, I will finish my course. I will go to Jerusalem. I will die on God's time for the sins of the world. I will lay down my life. I will value faithfulness to God's call over my life. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He is the one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but gave it all up, emptying himself, becoming nothing and serving us. Jesus is the one who cries out, Father, would you take this cup from me yet? Not my will be done, but your will be done. And then walks towards the cross and dies, valuing faithfulness to God's call over life itself. You know, the reality is we can never really live a perfect life of obedience. We can't always live with that deep sense of purpose in every moment of every day, and nor do we need to, because Jesus has in our place. And he has set us free. He has set us free from trying to achieve that sense of purpose. He's called us into it, and he's sent us out to help others experience it. And so are you living, are you living with this deep sense of purpose that you have been caught up and captured in what God is doing? And is it worth it? Yes. Let me close with a quote from Jim Elliott who, following the purposes of God, was martyred on the 8th of January, 1858, taking the gospel to Ecuador. And he says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Is it worth it? You bet. Valuing faithfulness to God's call in your life, even over life itself. We're going to respond to this gracious, good God this morning in two ways. The first is we're going to respond in worship as the band comes. They're going to lead us in praising God that he has caught us up into this magnificent vision. And secondly, we're going to respond in prayer. Our prayer team is going to be to the sides, either side of the auditorium here. You can identify them by the orange name tag that hangs around their neck, and they would love to pray for you. Maybe you're sensing this morning the Spirit of God capturing you and constraining you and calling you, and you want to surrender to that. And and so I would suggest go to the prayer team, have them pray for you. Maybe this morning you realize for the very first time that you've been living life without any sense of purpose, that you want to experience the grace of God and become a Christian today, our prayer team would love to pray for you and lead you in that prayer. But I'm going to pray for us now. Hand over to the band and we're going to worship our great God together. So please join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus, who valued obedience to the call that you'd placed on his life as more important than life itself and God we want to live like that thank you that you've caught us up in your purposes your grand purposes for this world we want to surrender our lives to you 
people who would live gospel-centered, spirit-led, church-loving, generous lives that are willing to lay it down like, like our Savior Jesus. That others too might encounter this grace. Fill us with your spirit for this task, we pray in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. God's people said, amen.